Hey everyone, this is Mike Skinner. I want to welcome you to the sermon podcast for Sweetwater Christian Church. We are glad that you are interested in joining us as we follow Christ. If you'd ever like to support our ministry financially or just learn more about us, head on over to sweetwaterchristian.org. Thanks and God bless. What would you say to me if I told you that you could sign up for a therapy session with God himself? A chance to lay out on the couch, to tell him all about it, for him to ask probing questions about what you're feeling, what you're thinking, how you're coping with certain situations, for him to give suggestions to you about how you might more faithfully thrive and flourish as a human being. Really, what would you think about that? Would you be optimistic, excited about it, or would you be more cautious about it? Let me know in the comments. Would you be excited to take the chance to have this type of conversation with God, or would you be a little nervous about it? If you've ever experienced therapy, I've had my fair share of therapists, it can be scary. It can be intimidating. I think we are living in a time where many of us could use therapy if we don't already have a therapist. You know, a therapist performs the important function of letting us shadow box with our demons, of letting us explore unverbalized fears and emotions, things that we're angry about, ways we've been hurt things we're desiring or dreaming or hoping for. And what we find in the book of Jonah as we come to the end of the story is the prophet engaged in a bit of a therapy session with God himself. And so the invitation for us this morning is going to be to join Jonah in therapy with God. If you have a Bible, you can open up with me. We'll be in Jonah chapter 4 this morning as we sit in on and then eventually are invited to participate with Jonah in this therapy session. We'll pick it up in chapter 4, verse 1. As a quick reminder, the story so far has gone like this. God comes to Jonah, and he tells them to go preach to the city of Nineveh. Jonah says, no, thank you. And he runs in the exact opposite direction. And so God sends a storm, which sends Jonah into the ocean, which then sends Jonah into the belly of a fish. The fish then vomits Jonah out. Jonah then ends up making his way to Nineveh, preaching what is not a very impressive sermon. And then you have this magnificent and marvelous act of citywide, king-led repentance in the city of Nineveh. And it's after this repentance, it's after God, we're told, relenting of the destruction which he had spoken for them, that we get the final chapter and the final episode of the book of Jonah, beginning in chapter 4, verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. Or more literally in the Hebrew, it was a great evil to Jonah. The evil that God has relented of in Jonah's eyes is a great evil to him. And he's angry. Verse 2, and he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Here we find Jonah giving us the answer to the question that we've had from the very beginning of the story. If you remember the first week we started exploring the book of Jonah, 
we notice that the storyteller doesn't tell us why Jonah flees. Why would a prophet of God, upon receiving a command from God, decide that he would rather go in an opposite direction, that he would rather be thrown out of a boat into almost certain death? Well, we're told here in chapter 4. It's because Jonah apparently had a sneaking suspicion all along that what God was up to was going to result in the salvation and not the destruction of the Ninevites. And this was something that was very terrible to Jonah. Now, it is a funny scene. We've seen that the book of Jonah is kind of a comic book. Um, There is lots of irony and jokes that we find in the book of Jonah. This chapter uh, has a a lot of them here as well. And so you have here Jonah quoting from Exodus 34 verses 6 through 7, where God reveals to Moses his essential character and nature. It becomes a standard confession throughout the Hebrew scriptures. I am a Lord, a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. You see it repeated throughout the Psalms. Jonah adds a phrase here, relenting from disaster. This phrase is also found in Joel when he quotes Exodus 34. He adds this relenting from disaster. This idea comes from the narrative of Exodus 34, where God speaks destruction over the Israelites for worshiping the golden calf, and Moses intercedes on their behalf, and God relents of that disaster. But here, for the very first time, you have this confession being used by a prophet not to instruct or rejoice, but to complain. This is not a praise out of the lips of Jonah, although we're told it's a prayer. This is an accusation. What kind of a prophet is upset at God for being God? What kind of a prophet is angry about the very defining characteristics that make up the God that he worships and serves? Well, Jonah is that type of prophet. There are clear echoes here of the story of Elijah as well. So Jonah is exceedingly angry and he is suicidal. He says, it'd be better for me to die. This is not the first time in the story Jonah has gotten to this kind of despair. Earlier on, he says, just throw me out of the boat. He seemed to be willing to lose his life rather than go through and experience what God had planned. And this echoes the story of Elijah. If you remember, Elijah also gets to a point, this great prophet of God, where he asks God to take his life. He, He thinks it'd be better for him to die. But Jonah is kind of the anti-Elijah. You see, Elijah asked God to take his life because he thinks his ministry is not successful. Whereas Jonah has just had a very successful preaching and repentance ministry. And he asked God to take his life. As well, Jonah is the anti-Moses. There's a whole host of biblical characters that Jonah seems to be the opposite of. Moses intercedes on behalf of those that God has spoken destruction over so that God would relent and show his great mercy. Jonah, though, is upset about it. He wishes that it hadn't have happened. Jonah's the anti-Abraham. Abraham, at one point in the scriptures, we're told, argues with God about God's plan to destroy a city. Here, Jonah is arguing with God not about the destruction in which he might participate in, but to object to the salvation which God has brought. Jonah is kind of an anti-prophet, if you will. Jonah apparently did not go through the vetting process for prophets. Now, 
I think at the same time, as we've mentioned earlier in this sermon series, we've got to take Jonah seriously. We've got to think through why Jonah reacts the way he reacts. What was it about this situation that truly made it so awful for Jonah? It's not, I think, until we can understand and sympathize with, until we can perhaps wonder if we would react the same way in this situation, it's not until we understand that that I think we've really fully captured what's happening in the Jonah narrative. The key is the city of Nineveh, the capital city of the ancient Assyrian Empire. Some scholars consider the Assyrian Empire the very first empire in the world of history. They are a brutal empire. They master the art of destroying cities. They have this almost lust for violence. They enjoy and take pride in destroying people and personhood. And they pose an existential threat to the Israelites, to God's people. For Jonah to be called to minister and preach to the Ninevites would, for you and I, be similar to us being called to preach to, to see the salvation of our most hated enemies, the people who we think are the most opposite of the people that God loves, the people that God desires, the people who are obeying God. Jonah here is upset, he's angry, and God asks him a question. He, in a sense, begins the therapy session. The Lord says, do you do well to be angry? And we keep reading. Verse 5, Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself. He sat under it in shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head, to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. This is actually the first time in the whole narrative that Jonah has a very brief sense of happiness. We finally see Jonah have some joy over this plant. But short-lived, verse 7, But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. He quickly comes back to this point of despair, perhaps more serious now with the hot sun bearing down on his head, him feeling faint. In verse 9, But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. This is the first time Jonah speaks back to God, the first time Jonah answers God, and, and Jonah answers with an outburst of emotion. Do you do well to be angry? Jonah says, Yes, I do well. Jonah says, yes, I'm perfectly well within my rational mind to prefer to opt out of life itself. This is how upset he is, how filled with despair he is. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and it perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. 
Now this is a very interesting way for a story to end. It ends with a question. It ends with an unresolved scene. It's almost like watching a movie and you can start to tell that the movie is starting to wrap up, but it has not answered the real questions you want to have it answer. And when it fades to black, you sit there and you go, no, there's got to be more. People have wondered, where's chapter five to the book of Jonah? It ends with this question. It ends in a kind of unresolved way. It ends with this silence on the part of Jonah. And it even ends in some humor with God talking about the cattle. This is how the whole book ends, God referencing the animals of the city. What happens here in this scene is Jonah not taking the bait of God's first question, do you do well to be angry, prompts God to enact a kind of living parable, if you will. And so Jonah, sitting down, watching what will happen to the city, has a plant that God makes grow up over him. And Jonah finds joy in this plant. He cares for it. And then God appoints a worm to attack the plant. It withers away. And Jonah becomes angry once again. Angry for this plant, for this plant's life. And God now comes to Jonah with perhaps some more ammunition, with this experience to engage Jonah in dialogue, asking him again, Do you do well to be angry, but this time now for the plant? You see, Jonah now has experienced some emotion other than hatred and displeasure, which to this point seems to be his kind of M.O. Finally, God sees something in Jonah that cares for the life of someone other than himself. And so God says, let's explore this. Let's dive into this. Do you do well to care for this plant, to be angry about it dying? Jonah says, yes. Yes, I do. Thank you very much. And then the Lord comes to Jonah with the left hook, with the uppercut, with the KO, and says, Should I not pity the city of Nineveh? These 120,000 people whom I made in my image, who I've created and watched over and sustained, who I see are living in ignorance without instruction or wisdom, not knowing their left hand from their right hand, and also much cattle. We're not told how Jonah answers this question. I'm not sure we should have a lot of confidence that Jonah answers it in the right way. I think he probably knows the right answer, but like many of us, knowing the right answer or knowing what we're supposed to do doesn't always result in us giving it or doing it. We have to ask ourselves here, what type of literature is the book of Jonah? This is a very odd story. This is a very odd way to end a story. And so what what type of literature is Jonah? Is Jonah Torah? Is it instruction? The answer is no. Is Jonah history? The answer is no. It's not in the books of history. It's not written as if it is a history book, as if it's trying to tell you about a certain time and place in history. Is Jonah poetry? Is it part of the Psalter, the book of Psalms? No. Jonah is a prophetic book. Jonah is found in the Minor Prophets. And so, it's a book which accomplishes that which the prophets set out to accomplish. It's unique in some ways. Most prophetic books are more about the message of a prophet and not what happens to a prophet. Enacted, lived parables, like the one Jonah goes through, are somewhat common for prophets to experience, but they're often not the ones 
themselves needing to learn the lesson? What is prophetic literature? What do the prophets do? What's the point of a prophetic book? Well, prophetic books are sharp-pointed sharp critiques that are often meant to provoke religious people into asking themselves about the ways that they perhaps have betrayed God with the way that they are living. Prophets go to very religious people and announce truths to them that are hard for them to hear and that often get them killed. And so we have to ask this question about the book of Jonah. What's the prophetic critique here? And I think it can be found in the questions that God asks. God ends the book with this open-ended question, should I not pity Nineveh? And we can imagine Jonah, his emotions, his mindset, saying, no, you shouldn't pity Nineveh. Have you not been watching what they've been doing to the world? Are you not aware of what they might do to us one day? Do you have no sense of justice, at least sense of justice that I have, to want to see this evil overturned and undone? One of the lessons that comes to us from Jonah is that God loves our enemies much more than we do. And that the ultimate ethic of God's people is that of enemy love. Jesus is very clear about this in the Gospels. His people are called to love their enemies. And normally if I was preaching through the book of Jonah, I'd camp out here and talk about enemy love and how radical it is. This is not a saccharine, romantic, um, hallmark type of love. This is gritty. This is vulnerable. This is radical. This is often offensive. This is a, a type of love that crosses boundaries, a type of love that often requires great sacrifice on our behalf. But as I was reading this text this week and asking what the Lord was speaking to me and might want to speak to you through this text, I kept coming back to the overall discussion that God has with Jonah. It's interesting to me that God comes to Jonah and asks him questions. Twice, why are you angry? Is it, is it well for you to be angry? In this last scene in the book of Jonah, the commands of God dissolve into dialogue. God comes close. There's actually some beauty here that I find in the gentleness that God has toward the prophet Jonah, who in his anger is asking God to destroy his own life. And God, instead of smiting him, God, instead of turning his back on him, God comes to him and engages him. He opens up a conversation. And notice what he asks. He says, what are you feeling? And why are you feeling that way? Is it appropriate for you to be feeling that way? When Jonah finally answers God and he says, it is well, I do do well to be angry, angry enough to die. With vocalizing Jonah's emotional state, perhaps he is experiencing it more than he ever has before. Perhaps he's just now realizing to what extent he is angry about this state of affairs. You might relate to this. Sometimes it's not until we verbalize a thought or an emotion, a feeling, that we fully experience it or that we're fully aware and conscious of the fact that we have been harboring that in our souls or in our hearts. And with this dialogue, with this engagement, God is able to prompt and move and prod Jonah into a place 
where he perhaps experiences is God's presence, where he perhaps sees a revelation of who God is, a God who loves his enemies, a God who seeks their salvation. This last phrase here, and also much cattle, what's going on here? Is this proof that dogs are going to be in heaven? Why, why, why does the story end like this? Well, I think what this is a, a hint towards is the fact that, that God has a much larger plan in mind for salvation than what we often suppose. Jonah says, you, you love and desire the salvation of my enemies, and God responds to this, that's just the beginning. I'm, I'm planning on fixing all of this. The, the scope of salvation in the scriptures is not just human beings, souls extracted from earth, but a brand new recreated heaven and earth. We're told in the book of Romans that God's people, human beings made in his image because of their sin and slavery to that sin, they've subjected all of creation, animals included, to a a sense and experience of bondage and and subjection to decay, and that they're waiting for one day the glory of the Lord to be revealed, to experience this freedom. This is what's being hinted at here. God has a plan for salvation that is much larger than just individuals, than just humanity. It involves all of creation. God says, I'm going to go into every nook and cranny, and anything that has been turned over, I'm going to turn right side up. I'm going to seek out every spot where there's a shadow and bring light. I'm going to go to every creature that's experiencing pain and bring healing. I'm making all things new again. He does, though, to Jonah in a conversation. He engages him in dialogue. And while Jonah needs to learn a lesson here about enemy love, and I think it's still a challenging lesson for you and I, we, I don't think, should assume that it comes easy to us. Perhaps there are other things that are blocking us from accepting God's call in our lives from fully understanding what God is up to and what we're being called to participate with him in. And I think Jonah illustrates for us here a key principle, which is this. It's an honesty, honest dialogue with God that we unlock his presence and his revelation in our lives. And so I might ask you this. In the last couple of weeks, as our lives have been interrupted, as we've experienced all kinds of changes, many of us have probably been experiencing different levels of stress than we're used to. Perhaps we're experiencing heightened levels of anxiety or fear. Perhaps we have some new anger in certain relationships. Perhaps our hopes and dreams and goals have changed And I would encourage you, as we join Jonah in therapy this morning, to be honest about those, to take a second and to think through them. What is it that you are feeling and experiencing these days? What is it that, by being honest with God and perhaps with others, you might be prompted to think through and understand in new ways what God is up to and what God might be calling you to? What are you worried about? What are you anxious about? What has made you depressed or brought despair into your life? What are you hopeful for? 
What are your dreams and goals? What are your deepest desires? The emotions that we experience as human beings should be invitations for us to ask questions, to be curious. Why am I fearful about this? Why am I anxious about this? Why am I overjoyed about this? Why do I desire this? And in therapy with Jonah, with God, we can take these emotions and thoughts, these desires and states of heart and mind, and we can wrestle with the truths revealed to us in Scripture and in community with one another. And we can often come to new understandings of what God is up to, new revelations about who God is, what He is like. We can often break through into places where God is calling us to go where we may otherwise have been hesitant to follow Him. It's key that we do this. It matters quite a bit that we're able to engage in this honest dialogue with God and with others. Because if we don't, here's what we risk. We risk joining Jonah outside of the city, waiting to see what happens, missing out on joining God in His mission, celebrating with the great repentance that has come to the city of Nineveh. It's similar to a story that our Lord told in the Gospels, the story of two sons and a father, sometimes called the prodigal son. What we might experience if we don't process our emotions and reactions to what's happening around us in honesty and vulnerability is we might be like that older brother who is of his own free will outside of the party, unwilling to celebrate, missing out even though the fattened calf has been drawn. My encouragement to you today tomorrow, sometime this week, is to take some time and to write out the things that you are noticing in your heart and in your soul and in your mind. What are the areas that are causing you to experience anxiety or depression or hope or joy? What are the things that are making you nervous or making you angry? Invite God into those reactions. Invite Him to illuminate to you what they mean, what they might reveal, how they might further lead you on into truth and godliness. St. Ignatius of Loyola, the founder of the Jesuits, he often talked about two forces that we find in our interior lives, one that draws us toward God and one that draws us away from God. The one that draws us away from God he called an evil spirit, and he said, quote, it causes gnawing anxiety saddens and sets up obstacles in our lives. And in this way, it unsettles people by false reasons aimed at preventing their progress. This perhaps sounds familiar to us. Pain and fear, despair, it pulls us away from the help God wants to give us. It's not coming from God. And so what is coming from God? St. Ignatius tells us God's Spirit instead stirs up courage and strength consolations, inspirations, and tranquility. So we can trust in the calm and the hope that we feel. That's the voice for us to listen to. The voice that says, as Jesus does in the Gospels, do not be afraid. And so I invite you this morning and this week to join the prophet Jonah in this therapy session. To be intentional. To take time out of your life 
to notice what's happening inside of your mind, inside of your heart. What things are pulling you away from God? What things are pulling you closer to God? What does that reveal about how you are handling this current situation? What does that reveal about the ways and and areas God might be inviting you into further participation in His mission? My deepest desire is that I would not be left outside of the city, sad about a plant, hoping to die. That I would instead be able, by engaging with God, coming into His presence, to see and understand His revelation in my life and be able to join Him in His work of redemption. Be able to follow Him boldly into the places that He has called me to go. And that's my deepest hope for you as well. It's through honest dialogue that we unlock God's presence and God's revelation. And so would you take some time this week to be honest with yourself, with God, perhaps with your spouse, or with your faith community, a small group perhaps? And would you take those honest thoughts, those observations, and would you take them to the Lord and ask Him to shine His light on them, that you might be brought into a newer and deeper experience of God's life for you, and that you might be equipped to participate in the unique and thrilling call on your life. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your great love for us. We thank you that you are a God who loves his enemies. We know that we need that love as well. We give thanks that you are not as interested in destroying our enemies as we are. And likewise, you're not as interested in destroying us as our enemies are. We, we ask that you would give us the ability to expand our capacity to love, that we might be able to love even our enemies, especially our enemies. And I pray, Father, that you would give us a special insight into the inner workings of our hearts, that we would be able to discern the spirits moving within us, the ones that draw us away from you and the ones that draw us towards you, that we might be able to lean closer into those activities and routines, disciplines that draw us into your peace and into your strength and into your hope. And we might be able to avoid and walk away from those things which take us away from you and from your presence. We pray that you would allow us to do this so that we might be able to bear witness to your great love in the world. Help us, equip us, and be with us. We pray all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.